it is a pleasure to launch this year's community chapel. Can I do this? Will that? Yeah, that'll mess. Th- no, that will not mess things up. Yeah. This one would mess things up. I'll try not to touch that one. Just set a couple things here. I want to start a little bit with um, some of our chapel traditions. First, we've got many different versions of Christians in the room. Some are Baptist, kind of somewhere in here, and others are more brethren-y and a little more conservative, and others are a little more Anglican-y and they're over here. I don't know where they are, and Methodists, and you know, that whole continuum. Roman Catholics are in there somewhere, and, and so on. But we're a gathering of multi-denominations. We welcome every one of you. It's a delight to meet this entire family of God, isn't it? And worship Him together with each of our idiosyncrasies and oddities. I I felt like I got the the ultimate compliment today when I walked in and, and, you know, Tyron looks at me and he goes, Dr. Tyron Laws, Tyron looks at me and he goes, looking good, man. I'm like, I'm trying to keep up. (laughs) But we did have a wedding on the weekend, and I I did change my shirt and a couple of other items. This is my wedding father of the bride suit, you know, so I thought I'd wear it today and celebrate my daughter. Enough about the person. We do have three daughters, for those of you who don't know us, and all are now married, so we're happily supporting them as they become family units and Blessing them as they give us blessings called grandchildren. We have five grandkids and, and so on. So anyway, enough about me. In our chapel traditions here, uh, with all of us gathering from different traditions, we do want to invite you to be who you are. Worship the way you do. Add to our room by being unique. And maybe you'll end up being the one who leads us into your style of worship, and, uh, and that would be good, or, or maybe we'll snag you into our style of worship, and some of us just sit on our hands, and, you know, and others are doing this, and it's all good. It's all good. Let's remember that um, if we're worried about the person beside us, we're worried about the wrong person. On the other hand, I say that hypocritically, because I'm always worried about what the guy or the woman beside me is thinking, so I I realize that's a little hypocritical, but nonetheless, it is our goal to worship God before Him, and in our way, honor Him, and in the whole, compliment each other, and speak to Him of how broad His great love is. Okay, another thing about chapel... Uh, children are welcome. We're a young community, right? We got a lot of young parents. And anytime one of the parents can be here with some of the kids, we've got another two or three people in the room. And um, we're not the type of, like, we're not a church where we're trying to, you know, siphon the kids off to the basement and so on and so on and all that. We're trying to do this together and we want to be welcoming to all. Uh, of our whole family, and our whole family includes our spouses and our kids. So feel free to bring your kids. If you um, are bothered by the noise of the kids, then sit a little forward, a little off the back row, and leave that for them. And if you're really bothered about it, come and let me know, and we'll set up closed circuit to parable place so that those of you who are bothered by the noise can go over there and, and worship. I think kicking kids out of 
uh, our chapel would be the mistake. Uh, let's let them have, be here and we'll enjoy it together. And if they're back there yelling away, they're probably cheering for the sermon. And that's also good. <laughs> uh, we do it with students on stage often. And um, we'll probably get a student or two in here as a speaker as well. But we really enjoy student music. You will find, those of you who are new here, that we do music really well. And so I salute those of you who are on our worship teams, and I thank you for your work. Last thing I want to say about chapel, um, if you will, as you leave, pick up from about three feet around you, that'll be your own little bit of mess, and a little bit of someone else's mess, then this place is pristine, it's clean, ready for the next uh, group that's going to move in. And we use this room quite a bit. We kind of like to do that in all of our classrooms and in, in Parable Place and so on. So if, if you can just make that part of your thing, you know, grab your cup or whatever it is that you've got and, and uh, dump it in the garbage. And then if you see a candy wrapper or something like that, take it with you. Uh, probably two or three years ago, I was walking across campus. It was summer. It was a beautiful, warm, clear sky day. Quiet, no students, which is not a blessing. You know, we, but it really was cool. It was a beautiful day. And uh, I was walking across from MX across to the library. And, and uh, there was a guy standing in the middle of the square, eyes closed, face up, straight at the sun. Just standing there. And I was like... I guess I won't bother him. I'll just sneak on by. So I head on over to the library. I do whatever in the library, whatever, whatever, whatever. And 10 minutes later, I'm coming back. He's still there. It's like I think he's a mime and he's doing a statue thing. And then I thought, well, maybe he's not, maybe, you know. So I just kind of tap him on the shoulder. You okay? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I am just soaking in the peace. Okay, I don't know if I could have had a better compliment about our campus than that. I'm here in the middle of campus soaking in the peace. I want to say that I think that might be, not that, not that Prairie's, you know, kind of arrived and were, um, you know, da-da-da. Um, rather, I think that's an interesting picture of the... Uh, portrait that we're supposed to present to the world, that God wants us to present to the world, a community at peace, a community without anxiety, a community living in his presence, and in his presence, we don't need to be anxious. Now, I'm told that this is a very anxious generation, and I think, you know, some of you would uh, sort of go, yeah, I can relate to that. But... Um, the, the world is very anxious. And, and if you start to think about it, the world around us has great reason to be anxious. I mean, you know, begin with fires in, in B.C., Alberta, northern Canada, um, burning downtowns, burning homes. Those people are living in real anxiety. One step worse, go to some of these war zones, and there are a lot of them not just the Ukraine, but many, many other areas, there are millions of displaced people, internally displaced, as well as those in exile and displaced. And those people have no idea 
where the next meal is going to come from or where their water is going to, you know, they're worried about their kids growing up. This is real reason to be anxious. We live in an anxious world. And if you walk back over the last hundred years, you've got, or through, the, through to the 1900s, the beginning, you've got World War I. You know, in the middle of World War I, it was a very anxious time. And that was just after this great pandemic. So it was pandemic, World War I. And then there was uh, the Depression. And people are losing their jobs. Entire companies are closing down. Towns are closing down. What are they going to do? Where is it going to come from next? What are we, how are we going to feed our kids? And then World War II, a bigger than the First World War. And then the Korean War and the Vietnamese War. And I could go on and on, and pretty soon we'd be depressed. But that's not the beginning of anxiety. You go a little bit further back in time, and you realize we went from a global society of tailored production You want a set of horseshoes? Come on in. The blacksmith makes them specifically for you or whatever it is. To industrial era where we're mass producing horseshoes for everybody. And, and, you know, those people who were the tailors, they lost their jobs. Unless they figured out, why, what am I going to do? Anxious times. And then, of course, you walk from the industrial world into the information world. And the information world goes from, you know, getting things organized to being quick to adapt. It's the word, the, the key word nowadays for, for corporate survival is adaptation. And it might, you might have only one or two years within a, with a style of business, and then the next thing you do, I mean, look at churches. You had to tran- transition from meeting in person and thinking, okay, we're gradually building these numbers to pandemic. And whew, what's going to happen now? And churches closed, and others figured it out, and went online, and, and so on. And now we're back to trying to meet in person, and others, others of us are just enjoying staying at home and watching it online. And, um, and so the people who are running those churches, they're kind of anxious. In terms of transportation, we went from horse and buggy to automobile. What happened to all the people who made buggy whips? Right? And then from the automobile, we had added airplanes. And we had highways and airports. And what's next? I don't know. Teleport. Every major transition causes anxiety. Odds are we're in one of those times. In terms of um, communication, we went from the Pony Express. Do you know American Express started as a Pony Express company? And it's now this, you know, sort of uh, elite type credit card. Pony Express. Over to the telegraph. Oh, that's amazing, right? And then the telephone. I can hear back from people right away. You know, I did the gotcha. Ha, gotcha at your desk. Oh, but someone else is listening. And then we got private phone lines. And then we got cell phones and so on. You get the picture. Every transition causes anxiety. Our chapel series, um, Divine Drama, Patriarchs, Prophets, and Apostles, is going to be looking through the Bible, and what we're going to find is there are many, many anxious times throughout the Bible. I mean, I, I, you know, there are people who will, um, when they pick up this book, especially in public to read it, they will kiss the book. We love the book. We love the stories that it tells and the picture it gives us. 
We believe it is the written word of God with total authority to guide us through life to God, right? This is the fast track. This is the pathway. This is why we at Prairie spend so much time on the Bible. We think those seven courses, four Old Testament and three New Testament courses, will be the best investment you will make in your life in preparing for your career. And I hope you, by the time you get through a few of the classes, realize, wow, this is actually going to be relevant. I, I, when, we first, when Elaine and I first arrived several years ago, um, I, I did a, a little ditty, it's sort of a coffee table book, and I, I like the title, What is this book? I mean, people look at it going, what is this book? What is this book? What is that about? Well, of course, it's about the Bible. And you can, you can get a copy of that, and I'm not going to read any of it. Um, but then I thought, you know, what is the Bible, you know, as I was preparing for this? And it hit me that the Bible is a bit like a picture frame. You know, we, we, we take beautiful pictures, we think, with our little iPhones. And, uh, but, but, but then we, we, fr- we put them in a frame to sit on our desk. And my wife spends quite a bit of time thinking about what frame that picture should go into. And we've got this picture frame that's intended to draw a person's eye to the picture, right? The Bible is like the frame. We don't worship the Bible, but we use the Bible to look through it to see who is God, what is the character of God. We look through and at the frame to focus in on what does God have to say about humanity. And so, yeah, this is a couple of my grandkids. There you go. Oh, yeah, I said I was done with family. It's hard to be done with family, isn't it? But it's a a picture frame. It's holding a picture of God and his view of man. And that's going to be what we're looking at this year. We're going to be walking through the stories. Remember Adam and Eve. Can you imagine how anxious their world was suddenly when they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden? Abraham, called by God, and God promised to make of him a great nation through which God would bless the nations of the earth. That's the purpose of God's blessings, by the way. He blesses us, the continuing story of Abraham, so that we can be a blessing to others. That's the reason for the gifts that he gives us. That's the reason for the blessings that he gives us. Go on from uh, Abraham, you get to, uh, oh yeah, I skipped a really important one. Imagine Joseph. The grandson of Abraham, was that right? A great, great grandson. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Um, Joseph, I think he's great grandson of, of Abraham, sold into slavery, sent off to a foreign country. Oish. You know, I picture him being tied to ropes and, and so on in the back of a caravan, a bunch of people who can't even speak their English, their language. <laughs> And, and then he lands in uh, Egypt, and stuff happens, and he ends in jail. And why was this? was so that Joseph could be there to be God's voice and God's plan to rescue the Egyptians 
and the Israelites. And then Joseph became the uh, second most powerful leader in all of Egypt, from slavery to that. Imagine how anxious Joseph was as he headed over to Egypt. Moses, he shows up. I got to face off with the new Pharaoh. Joseph is long gone, 400 years later or so. And Moses goes in to face off with his adopted father, the Pharaoh. And he's there to take the people of Israel, the workforce out of Egypt and into the desert. And the group of Israelites, two million or something like that, 650 men, thousand men, you know, count multiplied out, two million or so people, they're really happy to go to the desert, right? For about two days. Then they realize there's no water out here. Times were anxious. Times were anxious. Forty years later, they finally get across the desert that should have taken them less than a year. But they're on their way now into the promised land. And Joshua and Samuel and Saul and David are in the business of moving into the land and establishing this new nation of Israel. Can you imagine how fierce and scared they were on that first battle? I want you to go over to Jericho and walk around it. And actually, that was sort of replicating. It was, I think, a mockery of the religion of the people who lived in Jericho because they would do that once a year, walk around there town. This time, the walls fell down. Wow. And then suddenly they're confident going into every battle, right? Not so much. Anxious times as they built the nation of Israel. Then David, the blessing fell on him, and he was able to pull things together. And it was to establish the nation of Israel. Why? So that the nation of Israel could be a blessing to the world because it was through Joseph and Judah uh, Jacob and Judah on down through Moses and on down through David and through the nation of Israel that God was going to bring Jesus right in the meantime before Jesus comes along there's internal fighting there's division there's exile can you imagine the anxiety of going into exile then they returned from exile to a hostile homeland. This is where we're supposed to be safe. Things fall apart and the Romans move in and take over. Anxious times throughout the Bible. Then finally Jesus arrives, right? Hope. Hope for widows. Hope for orphans. He's come to set the captives free. He's come to free the enslaved and bless all people. And then he's crucified. Oh, can you imagine? Read that Luke 24 passage. And Jesus is crucified and the people are going, his own disciples, the people who believed in him most, they're going, what is going on? And then he rose again. And then came the Holy Spirit in Acts. There were crowd conversions. The work of Jesus Open the door for the Holy Spirit to come and move in and invade the earth. The work of Jesus empowered us 
to walk toward God through him and through the Holy Spirit to the Father. There were crowd conversions. The church gets launched. Very exciting days. And they were deeply committed to harmony, something you'll hear us talk a lot about here at Prairie, living together in harmony. The interesting thing about that in Acts chapter 15 is they got into this very serious debate, worth reading. Acts 15, it was whether or not they would continue with the, Moses, the Mosaic law, the requirement for men to be circumcised, or if that was old news and it wasn't important anymore. They're abandoning two, 3,000 years of deep, important tradition. And they said, yeah, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to do only a few things, otherwise serve the Lord. And those few things were, don't worship idols in any way. Live holy, sexually pure lives and serve one another. Circumcision went away. Why? Because they didn't want it make it, to make it difficult for the Gentiles to be, to be lovers of God. Wow. They abandoned an enormous tradition for the love of God, for the lordship of God. See, this was the foundation on which the church was built. It's the lordship of Jesus Christ. We accept him as Lord. We worship him as Lord. And heaven breaks open, open and comes to us. It's through lordship of Christ we find forgiveness. We find community. We live in love. We live in harmony. And peace comes to us. And suddenly the presence of God is here. I believe... When that happened, when all of those previous things happened, especially just the first step, we recognize the Lordship of Christ. God comes running our way. I believe he can't wait to get into that room. I don't think it's hard to get him in the room. We just need to say, we're, we're, we're yours. Come on over. I got five minutes and I will be done. But life wasn't easy for that first church. There was martyrdom, there was exile, there was sacrifice. People chose personally to give things up for the church. It was difficult. And the whole story of the church isn't that it's been easy. It's just that it's been peaceful in the midst of the strife and the difficulty. Because we have the presence of God with us. Through the work of Jesus coming in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We live in Christian community it is a winsome thing. It should be attractive to our neighbors across the street so that others will want to come and join us. That is the best testimony we can have, that we live well together, that we work well together, that we walk well together. We serve one another. We build one another up. We walk toward the will of God. It is not a difficult thing. It is God's will. It is at the center of his will for two things. One, that he will be our God and that we will love one another. Then his presence comes racing toward us. In the meantime, in the real world, anxiety reigns. It is out there. It's real. It's not a, a denial of the reality. It's just in the midst of all of this. You see, the forces of evil 
are committed to destroying every reminder of God. So what are the reminders of God? Um, creation. And then the ultimate reminder of God? Um, humanity, made in the image of God. Can you imagine how offensive we are to Satan and the evil forces? They are to be feared, but not more than God. We have him who created it all and who will and has conquered all. There's a great battle going on around us. Most of it is unseen. Our part, to be faithful to God, care for one another and his creation. We're called to trust him, to rest in him. We're called to love one another. We're called to do what is right. And we're called to contend for the faith. That's a quote from Jude. By now you can tell. Next chapter is Revelation. He's going to be done on time. We're called to contend for the faith. Jude, the brother of James, probably the brother of Jesus, wrote this to the people who believe, to watch for false prophets coming in among the believers. And that's happening. It's around us. And so that might be the place where we, in this room, as we walk forward into your careers and whatever it is, we contend for the faith. We defend the truth. And this is the best sort of written record that we've got of how to contend for the faith. Paul wrote to the Philippians and he said, I can do all things through Christ. So we, too, with Paul, can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And it's to do the will of God. So there are great themes in the Bible. Two great themes, I think. One is the theme of God, the creator, the almighty, the holy. Who acting in love created the universe. And then the second great theme, I think, is the story of humanity. So we've got the character of God, and then we've got the nature of man, or the nature of humanity. Fallen and feeble, redeemed, and empowered to do his will. God Almighty, in his great love, blesses us so that we can be a blessing. From Abraham to Israel Judah to Jesus, and in all things, God works for good, for the good of those who love him. I was 23 years old, skiing, spent the day skiing in Vanf, and I uh, got back, I was skiing with some, some guys that I worked with, and we'd booked a couple of hotel rooms out there so we could do two days of skiing. And uh, we got back, and I had a phone uh, message to call my uncle. So I called him, and he said, uh, your parents have been killed in a car accident. Oish, it was a bad day. And, uh, and my world sort of felt really cloudy, murky. I was in anxious times. What was going to be, you know, I'd lost, you might say, some good friends. You might say I'd lost my counselors, my advisors for life. I'd lost um, my grandparents. I didn't have a wife, I didn't have kids. But suddenly, one of the first things that hit me was, I'm not going to have grandparents. Now, that's not true. I, I married a, a, you know, a wife who has parents, so they, we do have grandparents. But, and by the way, my mother-in-law right here, Grandma Jane, 
It's right here. Everybody welcome Grandma Jane, please. But they were both gone, both killed one day on ice in northern Alberta. But I found my anchor point in Romans 8.28. And I want to offer this to you as a possible anchor point here for you, for whatever's coming. And we know, the verse says, the Bible says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, for those who have been called according to his purpose. For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Romans 8.28, I offer it to you as a potential anchor point. It was mine. It kept, you know, I put my anchor down on that rock and hung on through the waves and wind, and he was faithful. So bad things do happen to good people. They do. Why? I don't know. Maybe it's the unseen battle, or maybe it's a test of, of us in our walk. Or maybe it's to strengthen us and prove to us that God can be faithful even in the midst of bad things. We're not denying bad things are around us. It's just that God is in it to do good. We're invited by God to come to him with our anxieties, to walk with him because he is our non-anxious presence. The beginning of the summer as Elaine and I were heading off uh, Pat Massey handed me a book, A Non-Anxious Presence. I read it by Mark Sayers. And it's kind of got this theme in it. There's another one called The Land Between by Jeff Mannion. Uh, really a tremendous book. But it's how God uses the barren times, the difficult times. He was talking, Jeff Mannion's talking about the time in the desert to form us and make good things for us, do good things for us. But at the center of God's will, at the center of his whole message, the two great themes of the Bible come together, and they are that God will be our God. This is his will. And that we will be his children. We will be his family. Forty-one times in the Bible, there are verses referring to, I will be your God. I will be your God. I will look after you. I love you. I want to bless you. I'm going to look after you. I got you. And you will be my people. Revelation 21. There's a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 3. It's an amazing verse. Look. God's dwelling place is now among the people. His big hurrah. And ours, believe me. And he will dwell with him. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Our Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word that will endure forever. We thank you for the picture we can see of you through this Bible. Now come live among us, we pray. We open our hearts. We give you our lives. And we call you Lord of all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.